we've all had the experience with movies too, but movies and games where you've got something you remember from five years ago, 10 years ago, when you were a kid, you know, that was really a compelling, amazing experience. And you remember it in a certain way, right? Then you go try to experience it again. Now, in, in the present time with the person you are now, with the way the world is now and like the way that- With a 16 and- by nine aspect ratio monitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to episode 311 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm not the games programmer. I'm Sam and I also don't program games. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and not programming games. Yeah, Today is May thir- program games. <laughs> Today is May 13th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's profanity on this show. And we would also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, who every month we grab some of their money and we like it. Now, gentlemen, hmm. last week we yammered. We yammered real good. We bloviated. We did a lot of smoke blowing. Yeah. Okay. May have, may have stammered. That also probably happened. Mumbled. Yeah. yeah. We really slammed some vowels and consonants, I would say. Mm-hmm. Most now, vowels in a very mumbly fashion. One thing we didn't do is answer any questions, mm. uh, which is a pretty ra- – like normally we squeeze in a couple. Or one and it's at least. Rare, it's rare that we just hit zero. Now, we owe it to our listeners to just go absolutely ham. I'm not sure what that means, but we're going to go ham on, yeah. ham, on the questions. Ham and or hog wild, which I don't know why there's so many pig-related uh, uh, metaphors for just getting in there. Because pigs are always screaming and like stabbing stuff with their tusks. That, you that know? has to be it. Yeah, that must be it. Have you guys heard about those packs of feral boars? Yes. That are like roaming around and they're they eat like popu- everything and just destroy yeah it's it's or, bonkers. or feral feral hogs yeah mm-hmm. and they're apparently really smart they yeah. keep out they keep outwitting all of the the farmers who are trying to stop them like a like a wily coyote roadrunner it's situation it's like uh, it's like untitled goose game but with pigs basically yeah yeah they're basically the zerg i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it's true. true yeah they're yeah. like zerglings you know uh, anyways, let's get on to the questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest upvoted question comes from Beaky Boop, the one and only, who says, you all have been talking about the idea that you should rate books, games, movies, and TV shows on how well they do at what they're trying to do. Are there any examples of a piece of media where you think it's done well, but you still don't like it? <laughs> so we had talked a while back about the nail versus whiff phenomenon, yeah, which yeah. is which is we had talked about, just to recap, that when people review things, they always talk about whether they like it, right? Like thumbs up, thumbs down, do I like this thing? But that's just as much of a commentary about yourself as it is about the thing, mm-hmm. because we don't know you. Who cares what you like, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about the idea that maybe a better rating system would be to try to understand what the creators of the thing were trying to do with the the show or game or whatever, and then just evaluate whether they nailed it or whiffed it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, did they su- – because then, like, leave it up to the, the viewer to decide, is this the kind of thing that I like? Because and if, if it, it is, is – Then I'll like it. Because if it is and they, they nailed it, it yep. then great, right? But who cares what this reviewer likes? <laughs> yep. So back to the question, are there – are the things that you've seen where you were like, I mean, yes – this is exactly great, but for what it is. But also, I hate it. <laughs> I know. I know there have been with both games and TV related things, shows or movies or whatever. Um, the thing about them, though, is that they are almost by definition forgettable to the person who experienced it because mm-hmm. you weren't. Because because the thing is because it's actually a thing like I haven't had an experience where I thought somebody nailed something and also hated it. Like I haven't had that experience. I've had experiences where I thought somebody nailed it and I didn't care though because well, it wasn't also, yeah, the kind there's of a thing difference I was into. There's a difference between hating something and just not liking something. Yeah. Or, or just, just not being interested. Right. Because not liking something is also not disliking. You just not it's a not. It's yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. It's it's not affecting you. Yeah, right? I think they're naturally very so. slippery on the mind. I think the one I could think of recently for me was um I watched the first couple episodes of American Horror Story. Oh uh, yeah. Like, 
every so often I'm like, oh, well, I could watch a scary movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I start watching it and I'm like, oh, no. And then I'm scared for, you know, like a week or two of the dark. Mm-hmm. And so for whatever reason, I was like, this seems like it'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> and then it's let one me, of those things. Let me like, get in there. It's well done. Yeah. It's like for what they're doing, they're they're doing it. They're doing it real good. Uh after after participating a little bit, I was like, I don't want to be I don't want to be a part of this. I think it's usually it's, it's a lot of things that have any piece of media I think that's really well done, but that is scary, like genuinely scary, for me is is just right is exactly what this is, which is I can tell they nailed it and I want to get the fuck out of the room just And that is why I have to leave. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it almost becomes Agreed. more of a thing where Agreed. it doesn't agree with your your tastes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really what it is. Cause, cause you can appreciate that something is, is very good and that people really like it, you know? So mm-hmm. I think about something like, um, Firewatch, mm-hmm. right? Which is actually like, they're in a, that was kind of a controversial game, not because of anything in it, but just because of what it is, which is, is it a game? Right. And like mm-hmm. that was kind of the whole conversation around it. Um, because it's very, very narrative driven and not really built a lot around, gameplay mechanics or uh, like large numbers of interactions between game rules and stuff, right? It was more meant for people to just go through it, see the story, and just like tell a really good story. Almost like somewhere between a game and a movie, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of a thing. Um, And uh, every time I've seen videos of it or screenshots of it or whatever, I'm just like, damn, that is great. Like Mm -hmm. they just just nailed it. I'm pretty sure it's super well rated, right? Like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I'm not interested. Yep. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not really for me. It's not the it's not the uh, type of thing that I that I go for. And and I could oh, here's the thing. Probably if I played it, I would enjoy it. You know. Mm-hmm. But I I also think that while I'm playing it, I would probably be thinking about a lot of other things that I probably would mm-hmm. be more interested in doing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there's that, and also stuff like Black Mirror, which is oh, kind I of in that, that horror thing, which yeah. is like, which is like, I, for me, it's not even about horror, it's but about more about discomfort. Uh, it's yeah. about just being like <clears throat> being presented with something that's like, hey, isn't this fucked up? Isn't this yeah. terrible? You're like maybe like the news, you know? They do a great job at just really making you feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's true. Th- they just nail it every day. They are just <laughs> creating outrage and pissing everybody off. Uh, and they're doing a great job at that. And I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't want it. I don't want to be involved. Uh, so, yeah, there's probably actually most things in the world that they're like make it up to the surface of popular consciousness do so because they actually are doing a good job at being the thing that they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they, they're good for you. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that covers. I don't yeah, know. I think, Adam, I think there's any- only one general thing that I think nails it that I truly hate, which is most reality TV. Because uh, mm. the, mm. the, the things they do are so transparent. Like, I know what they're doing, and I also, but, but I can also see how well they're doing it, right? Where they're just like, they're like, they're, they're baiting you as the viewer and like the, the participants as, as each, as each other. Right. And they, they, when they show the little sidebar where they have somebody talking right to the camera and you can, and they like, they picked one sentence to tell, have, have that person say, yep. and you can yep. tell it's in response to a question that they asked because they're trying to get a certain thing to happen. Like you can, if you pay attention and you know what they're trying to do, you can see all of it. Right. And it's horrifying and gross to me because it's just like, let's just make people seem really awful. Right. And like, that's, that's the whole thing. And, uh, and they nail it and I do hate it. That's like, yeah, that's I would love the challenge. Here's the thing. I, this is something I would never do, but I love the idea of it, of the challenge of, of purposely trying to get onto a reality TV show. Uh, but, but seeing how well you can navigate that only looking like you are just super likable and you mm-hmm. like everybody and you have no problems with anybody because that means like every sentence you say, you'll have to think about if, if somebody only heard this <laughs> out of context, would it, would it make – would it seem like I'm you know, being a dick or like being critical of somebody or causing problems? So, you know, you'd have to like really – They do have you know, some of those. Like my, my wife is into the, the various cooking competition shows, you know, and, uh, and so sometimes I'll watch like little bits and pieces while I'm doing other stuff. And there was one season that I actually like watched a whole bunch of, of like, I don't know, Top Chef or one of those things. Uh, It wasn't Top Chef because I hate MasterChef. It is like, it is like the garbage tier reality TV cooking (laughs) show for me. Like I hate it. Uh, But Top Chef, like 
they still do a lot of pitting people against each other and it's still pretty gross. Uh, but there was like a couple seasons where they had like one person who made it through really far who's super fucking nice. Like really mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was just I was in it for that person. You know, I was like, I want this person to to show this show and these fucking other assholes, right? Like what <laughs> you know, like what what it actually you can is. be nice and weird. You can be nice and weird, you know. This uh, and that stupid trope where it's like I'm not here to make friends, you know. Like oh, that's great. Every time someone just, says that, you're like, oh man, you oh, are you're it's a treat just every time. Yep. Every time. man, I am everywhere to make friends all the time. I love making friends. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, do, I, I do, I'm bad at keeping them because I'm just I, I get distracted, you know. But yeah. <laughs> but like, I like making them. I do have that ADHD brain. The, yeah. Uh, so on the Bachelor, there's always this there's always this line people throw out because my wife and I watch Bachelor a lot. So always this line contestants throw out, which is along the lines of like, oh, they're not here for the right reasons, right? Like I don't think this person's here for the right reasons. It's one of those things, you know. They're just here to get famous. They're not really here to find a person. Um, and people throw this around like it's a dagger just all the time. And what cracks me up, though, is if you pay attention to what's happening, it's not really clear that the producers are there for the right reasons. They're you know not. what I mean? Because, like, they're the all shit there that they're for doing, yeah, the, the shit point. that the producers are doing to just, like, to just make everyone have a really bad time mm-hmm. is is so – What's the what's the right reason to go on to a reality TV show? Like, is there a good – Supposedly, it's like – especially in the case of that one, like, the whole idea is like you're supposed to find someone, right? So it's like, Yeah, but, like, you could just do that. You know, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you're the person who is the set, the bachelor or bachelorette, that's like an excellent scenario for you because you get to date like 30 people simultaneously. Which is yeah, but that, that's also what like speed dating is and stuff too. Right? Yeah, also yeah, you can you can yeah you can Tinder that right. I mean, nowadays every day could be the bachelor. You could go on 20 dates a day if you, that's you true. Know, if you really is it still really, the case that with the bachelor because I've never I've watched it, but I've seen like pictures of the of the people over time and stuff, and they're on all they've been going for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it still the case that basically like every dude looks the fucking same, and also every woman they bring on is also looks the same, basically? There, it's like it's yeah, like a cookie cutter. Like everybody's the same fucking person competing for the same it's, people. It's finally gotten. It's finally getting. To be just like a less of a just the same white person sort of a show, yeah. like where the dudes is the same kind of like Chad six yeah, foot right, one you know? yeah. six foot one chiseled jaw amazing generic hair. white handsome dude yeah it's like if you lined them all up like it's really hard to yeah because I think I saw either. like somebody <laughs> put a picture like that together of like all the bachelor dudes and I was like these are the same guy every yeah. fucking one yeah. is the same guy I love the idea though that it that it actually is the same guy and he just like puts on a different hat or something for every season. <laughs> right. you know? Just changes his facial hair a bit or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's got a goatee now. Okay. Well now he's a different, actually no, they would probably never have a goatee. No goatee. Cause, Cause now he's the evil one, you know? Yeah. Goatees are evil. Wait a minute. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's you. Seth. Oh no. We found you out. Uh, it's, it's the trope. Like anytime you actually have that, uh, we've been rewatching community lately, which is, uh, you know, hilarious and bad because it's like bad people, but it's also they they do such as the as the show goes on, it gets more and more uh, fourth wall breaking and like weirder, you know. Mm. And they have that they have a moment where where one of the main characters, Abed, sees in his imagination his like his his alternate reality self, and that self just puts on a fake goatee. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then they just call him Evil Abed because he puts on a goatee. <laughs> and it's just such a fucking trip. Yep. Yeah. So, anyways, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Uh, We're talking about things. Yeah, so anyways, that happened. Next question. Chelosis asks, do you have a massive archive of old builds of your games? Do you ever go look at really old ones? So this this actually, yes, we do, and it's a problem. So that I don't know, Sam, you may not even know how much of a problem this is. Probably not. We have a we have a fucking terabyte of old builds. <laughs> what? Oh, is this because of the Git problem thing? No, this is just because we do continuous deployments. As yeah. about, well, just about right. So sometimes we do really uh, frequent deployments, especially in the level head two. Like most of our builds are level head two or level two level head builds because. Uh, I was working on level head, especially during early access and stuff, as we're preparing to get it ready for Xbox and Switch and whatever. Uh, every I mean, time that was when we developed our QA system, mm-hmm. that was when we that was when we put together all of our pipelines that actually worked. So yeah, so yeah. level head was when we started having builds just all the time. Yeah, so like before all this, we would maybe have one build per week of one game, right? So it'd be like this week we would have a build of Roid Rage, and then next week we'd have a build of Crashlands or something. 
with Levelhead, we got onto the automated deployments train and we, and we changed our philosophy to uh, anytime we make a small number of changes to the game, we should be testing those as soon as we can on every platform, right? Which means you got to make builds for every platform after every small number of changes. Uh, so you'll have set in like Levelhead, you know, we launched on seven platforms, seven builds. Um, so we might have 21 or more builds a day being mm-hmm. made. And our Which games is, are actually pretty small, like on the scale of games. Thank God, actually. Not yeah, but those. they're still hundreds, hundreds of megabytes. Yeah, yeah. they're going to be, yeah, Levelhead, I think, is a, is a few hundred megabytes. And so it's like, well, a few hundred megabytes times 20 every day. You know, and you just do that. Two gigs a day, yeah. And you do that for a year all through early access and even for the months following uh, the launch as we're developing content updates. And it's like, yeah, we just got... I think, I think there's eight. I think there's 800 gigabytes of Levelhead builds. But is it really a problem in the sense that like storage is so cheap? Well, the the real problem is that is that we're working on some some additional QA automations to make it so that, for example, um, as we're working on new builds, then uh, Jordan, who is our uh, QA lead, he can he can just have a program that'll auto install builds like right onto his switch or something, so he can test them. Problem is uh, because we have so many builds that he's got to use Dropbox's selective sync. And he, right. he's, not, he's not syncing the builds as soon as they're made. So they're not actually on his computer, right? They're not available, uh, right? right? So Dropbox like, doesn't we have, have a mechanism where it's like, only show me the new stuff and then hide the old stuff also. Yeah. yeah so, so we have so many builds now. And, and, and this is actually one of the things on my task list from this week is like, I got to go through and just, I'm going to purge a bunch of them, like 500 gigs worth of old builds because we're not, it, we don't you need never them. look back at those. No. And if we did need to go back, we could also just check out the Git history yep. mm-hmm. and and Rebuild redeploy from there. Right? And that's actually so. not completely true because uh, we haven't we haven't baked into the to the Git history the uh, dependency uh, the versions. Yeah, and, right. So the runtime version is is baked in, but like which, which if we need a new switch build, like which version of Nintendo SDK were we using? Who knows? Mm, whatever, whatever the knows? game pipe had at the time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So again, this is like it's. It would be tricky to do, but we also um, don't need to. Yeah. So it would be. Fine. It would be really wild and and actually hugely problematic for us to go back like six months to a prior levelhead version and try to do something with it because we can't deploy that to players because it would be incompatible with all their levels and it would not be good. Yeah. So although if we went back six months, we'd still have the same version of levelhead that's out right now. Yeah. For now. For now. But that'll be resolved soon. Yeah, but right. uh, but oh, yeah, okay. so I think it's like, it's kind of an interesting way to think about it though, which is, you know, we, we solved this this problem of having not enough deployments and now we kind of have too many, but only if you're looking at it from a certain angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, it's, it's just uh, that the tooling is wrong for this many deployments, right? Because we were using Dropbox when we didn't have a lot of deployments, right? Yep. And uh, and, and now, now we're just we're just like throwing them into the pile. Yeah, the now pile we just, just have so getting, many. And so this is now the thing where, what we should do is start moving these into something like Amazon S3, which is a really cheap way to store huge amounts of data. And mm. then and then we would just need a tool on the other side. Because now the tool can, instead of having it like locally being like, oh, let's sync everything and make sure you have it, it could instead ask that remote thing and just say, hey, what's give the, the most recent? Thing? And you yeah, can just, the most the recent and then you just download that thing. So now you had a download step. Mm. But let's not Look at that. Time. We just came up with a new project right here on the podcast. Nice. Yes. You heard it here. You heard it first, people. We're going to have the robo, the robot that just gives you the latest builds. The yep. end. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Tim Conceivable, who says, in episode 302, you guys talked about how the Levelhead campaign might have been better if on-time deliveries were hidden until a player completed the campaign. I agree that that would be a good thing to change. Do you think you will ever revisit the campaign and tweak some things like that? Mm. Uh, well, I think no, because we've talked a lot about oh, this. We had so many conversations about the campaign yeah. Yeah. in the past year. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those weird things where because the campaign is, especially the, the intro bit of it, um, is a thing that every player hits. Then it becomes one of these things that whenever we're looking at retention or we're looking at uh, just ways to improve the game, it somehow always becomes one of the focal points. Even though uh, when you look at level heads sort of like as an entity, like the whole shebang, um, it's not it's not exactly clear that the campaign is really the thing that would move the needle on some of these retention mechanics. So much as it is that it's a, it's an obvious thing that has that is much easier to tweak 
when you're like, oh, it's changed the levels, than literally anything in the whole rest of the. Well, I think that's not ma- massive game design. That's not completely true because, uh, as you said, it's both the part that every player experiences, but also the part they have to experience and can't experience anything else until they've experienced whatever part of the campaign we lock them into. Yeah, two the levels. First, the first two yeah, levels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, it, but the question here is: is are we seeing people get kicked out by those two levels? And the other question is. Do we think that those two levels are setting people up so that they don't get kicked out early in the rest of the content, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, and it does make sense to because the on, onboarding of people into a game is is the hardest fucking part of designing a mm-hmm. game, right? And that's also where retention is the weakest because the most the most fragile. It's the, it's the most fragile because a person doesn't trust you yet, right? They they took a gamble in the game because the marketing materials were good enough, which is actually where. Uh, so to to get back kind of to, to Sam's point, um, where our time should be going into is in marketing efforts and finding ways to get people into the thing first, right? Because uh, once we get them in there, like our you know our refund rates are the same or they're average. Like there's nothing particularly the same as it is for Crashlands, and yeah, yeah. And of course, like the longer people stay in the game, the more they can they can make a bigger community that gets more people talking about it and streaming about it and so on. So like so yeah, like it's not that it's not that retention is bad. It's just that that's not the that's not the major bottleneck. Yes. Well, yeah, I, and honestly, so we, we did our we, we had a bunch of uh, uh, YouTubers, streamers, whatever, playing the the game over Level Heads anniversary, and so we got we got to do that fun thing where you get to see new people coming into your game and watch what they're doing, right? Um, and one of the things that like we had so many conversations about this during that week because we're watching all these new people coming in. And it was fascinating to see someone like uh, Ryukar, who is a brilliant platformer player, right? And like he he plays Super Mario Maker 2 a ton and all that stuff. And um, you can see the progression for him as like in his first episode, he's he's feeling it out and he's he's like thinking about analogs of like how this game is is just doing the same things as other yeah. games that he knows, and he's and he's like drawing those connections. But he's also being surprised by things here and there where he's like, oh, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I haven't seen that before, right? And that happens a few times. And then you come into the second episode. And now that he's kind of passed that initial sort of like calibration of understanding the, the core of the game, he starts finding more and more really interesting mechanics and tech and power-ups and tricks and stuff. And then by the time he gets to the third episode, he, he kind of ends like halfway through the episode – he has to stop what he's doing and he's he, he basically just says like this is exactly the game that Mario Maker 2 should have been right um but it it takes a like even for somebody who really understands platformers mm-hmm. it takes a while to get in to get deep enough into the game that you are starting to see just how deep it really is yeah. right so this was the realization i think we had after talking through all this stuff which is that this is not even a solvable problem, but is a is a problem with Levelhead, which is that the things that make Levelhead great are in its depth. They're deep. They're deep it's in, in there. It's in the depth. It's in the interactions between things. It's in the fact that, yeah, it's a platformer that has all the trappings of a platformer, but we took we took everything up a few notches, right? And then we have a much more dynamic world because of all the programmable stuff, right? Uh, and and that that stuff though, like there's enough depth there. That that you don't understand that it's there at all, you know, until until you it's, it's there. beneath especially, the surface. It's, that's it's, it's, it's yeah, all you can see definition, is the surface. Right? <laughs> yeah, but, but especially for the programming stuff, right? Like somebody playing because like people play video games all the time, right? And, and most video game experiences they have are not made by randos. They're made by a game studio who has designed a very intentional experience, and, and the the people that that you know made the game have control over everything. They can make anything do anything if they want to spend the resources to do it, right? And so it's not surprising to people to have an experience in a game where they go do a thing and then something moves and like changes in some interesting mm-hmm. way, right? That's not surprising to a person who isn't realizing that, holy shit, like a person like a a player can do this because this thing, this game, is an engine that allows this kind of thing to happen. Right? Yep. That realization is is something we can't give to somebody. Yeah, it's, it's like hours. It's hours deep. Yeah, yeah. Into the game, right? It's basically yeah, the fact, uh, like the the. I think the reality for us from watching those videos was recognizing that the the true hook for Levelhead is is buried. It's a very. Yeah. It's a thing that you can't. It's not accessible. And even when you show when you show clips of like putting together stuff again, people can't understand what's happening. And, th- and this is the benefit that we didn't recognize that Mario Maker actually had. 
which was the fact mm-hmm. that since everyone had played Mario already, you you also you already have all this context for what these things mean. Um, right. So, so if you see somebody like putting down a, a turtle shell in a level, you you already have the mechanics of all the things that a turtle shell can do in your brain. And you're like, Ooh, I kind of see how this fits. But it's not just that. It's that Mario doesn't need to have any surprises in it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's Mario. People are making Mario levels. Like that's, that is sufficient for that. Well, it's the hook. The hook becomes the surface level at that point. Yeah, the the hook is on the surface where level head had to do everything just much more interestingly, much deeper. Right. Uh, And it, it had to, it just had to do everything better in order to, be its own thing that wasn't just like a shitty Mario Maker clone, right? To be its own thing, it had to do everything really, really well. But now that requires that somebody buys into the game because now we have to convince them that this is a platformer worth playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when they're playing it, like it's just it's a platformer, right? It looks like you can jump around and do hard stuff. Like it's it's even it's when you cool find the power cool ups. power ups, like there's, yeah. it's like okay, well these are really cool power ups, right? And that's and that's but there's no way, right, to like. To the, if you can't make those those subsequent realizations, which is oh, but now there's like endless content and like endless creativity, and the depth of the actual gameplay experience is never ending in terms of how much stuff you can learn and how cool the tech can get and the kinds of cool. I mean, I was just like, I just pop after the, after that week. I've now been just popping over Twitch, just like in my morning while I'm doing stuff, just to see if anyone's streaming and like pop in and watch, you know. And some of the levels that that people have made are so fucking incredible. Like, yeah, like I saw this wild level where somebody had, they'd set up this thing where you had to do everything. Of course, everything right. It was like, I don't know if that's what a Kaizo is where like, you have to do everything exactly right. Um, Cause it wasn't, it wasn't chaos, but like, yeah, it was just, a Kaizo was just right. like a, it's a very sort of like intense, precise. Yeah. Super precise. But there was like, this thing where they were like, they have to like jump and grab a key while jumping and then throw it onto a door. Right. And then they go through the door and they grab the next key while they're falling and throw it into another door. And like, and like, yeah, I'd say that's a Kaizo. Yeah, yeah, it was like this like (laughs) snaking thing, but then the, the, the creator, and it looked beautiful. Like it looked, it was just really well designed. And then the creator had put like around the keys, other things you can grab so that you had to like, you had to actually grab it because otherwise you'd actually grab the wrong thing. Mm, Shit. And I was watching somebody else. The level's beautiful. And it was like a really cool, weird mechanic that I like, I'm trying to describe it with words and it's really hard, you know? And it's something I've never seen before because, because level head allows, for such diversity and experiences that like here now, you know, a year and a half after players started playing with it, uh, I'm still seeing cool shit that I look at. I'm like, I'm like, what? Like that is, that doesn't exist in any other game, like that kind of an experience. Right. And level head is riddled with these because the players who are now who make up the community who play this as a hobby, because, and that was a realization I had that made me feel like really good about the thing we made was that we made something that's worth having as a hobby because of the depth. There's no, there's nothing actually, there's no alternative out there that competes um, that allows you the same set of cool stuff that you can do and cool stuff you can make and the depth of stuff you can learn. But yeah, it's just, it's so hard to explain that. You can't. You know? Yeah. Well, it has and also, to be experienced over time with, with a person who's, who's looking for that particular kind of thing. Cause otherwise you can't even see it. You can experience it and not notice that you did. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, well, and that, that's part of the reason why we we did the push for getting lots of like YouTubers and streamers is because we thought, okay, you know, we we've shown the editor in the trailer, we've we've shown all this all the stuff that the game can do, but the problem is that like you, you can't we can't convince people that this is deeper than stuff that they already believe yeah. is very deep. Because yeah, right? you can't see depth until you have. The subsequent prior layers, right? Yeah, you need, right. Lot, you need so You've much gotta, context. Yeah, you yourself have to tunnel through the layers before you see it. And yeah, so, well, this is the fun thing about watching like these Ryokar videos, or uh, there was with the other guy who was who did a live stream, uh, G DGR, 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 and and like and it was fun like watching them. They're discovering the depth as they play, which is super fun to watch. But it works because they're playing over a long period of time. But also the people watching are discovering it along with them because they're along for the ride because they trust that person, right? Yep. Which is, and they don't trust the game. They trust the person and the person. They don't trust us. Along for they the don't ride. trust level head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the person provides yeah. the context because, and especially for people who are playing platformers a lot and for their community who watches them play platformers, right? Is they already have enough context that when the streamer realizes something interesting has happened, that not all of the players will have realized then they get to, they say it, they say it out loud. And then people are like, Oh, like they, and they, and something clicks. Right. And they keep on adding these layers of things that click and click and click. And, and that's, that's how you do. And so I think that was for us, the big realization was that, was that the, and we probably, we might not have been able to do it at, at level has launched because that was still when Mario maker two was like really hot, really hot. It was really popping. And, yeah. and so we, we might not have been able to, 
to even pay people enough, you know, that we could afford to, to, <laughs> to stop doing that and, and like play Levelhead instead. But I think to me, that was a big realization was that for a game like Levelhead, where all of its value to a player is in the long-term experience and the depth of the gameplay. Uh, and we wanted to make a hobby game and we did, right? Yeah. It's just that it's really hard to get to onboard somebody into a hobby. And, uh, and I think that realization that, that that's where marketing efforts needed to go probably would be into finding these ways to to find systems that allow for really context-driven uh, onboarding that we don't actually have to do because we need we need something that somebody already trusts right so like if you're if you're a blizzard right or if you're like one of these really big companies that people like just trust right yeah then you can have, you can put out a game that like that had would have the same sort of problem where it's like you got to play it a lot to get there and people trust you. They'll trust it. People they just will, do. They will they do, do it, right? Yeah. And then there'll be enough yeah. people talking about it and like exposing all the context so that you can get these little snapshots. Because it's just like learning things too, right? Well, like when you're going but through school, you- it's really hard to learn math, right? But it depends on the fucking teacher you have, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. there could be these little moments where you just see the right thing in the right context. We're like, oh, that's why, right? And that's what Levelhead is. It's too hard to teach. Um, and so everybody needs a different teaching experience with a different level of trust that they already have in that experience before they can get onboarded. Yeah. And I'd say one of the downsides though, when you're talking about sort of a, like a larger company with that level of trust is that trust can also lead to a feeling of betrayal. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking Diablo three launch. Okay. Like, yeah, that was, you know, Diablo two uh, was regarded as like, one of the best, cult the classic, best you know. RPGs, hack and slash games of all time. It's being remade, and it look the remake even looks incredible. It defines um, so many components of my childhood. Even when my wife and I were uh, spent nine months living apart while we were figuring out our life situations, you know, most of what we did to hang out was play Diablo two again, just kill you know, zombies. Together, 25, you know? 20 years or fifteen years after it was out or whatever. It's yeah. the real. It's the way that 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 you really cement a marriage. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. It's like murdering zombies. Um, but then with Diablo three. Uh, I remember reading about stuff like their real money auction house before the game came out. And I was like, well, I mean, that's because, because it was, bl- and, and like the explanation I think is, is a fair one, which is blizzard saying, we know that there's actually in Diablo two, there was a huge economy of players trading items for real world money in external markets. Yeah. The problem is what that means is our players are being exposed to potentially scammers and fraud and a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And we want to bring it in house. And we, we, and we want to like, yes, we want to make money off of it, of course, because that's that's a thing that we well, do. Well, it's like legalizing a drug, right? It's like take yeah. it off the streets, yeah. get it into a control exactly. area. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like on its face, I'm like, actually, yeah, I, I, I do like this idea. Mm-hmm. The problem is once the company stands to make money from the transaction. So they design they will, the game around it. They will design the game around trying to encourage as many of those transactions as, as possible. And one of the core things that they did in Diablo 3 was uh, they had made it so that it's almost impossible to, to go and get the piece of loot that you want. Yeah. Because everything was became so randomized that they wanted you to get a piece of loot that's clearly good, but also clearly not for you. Mm-hmm. Right, and so then you would take it to the auction, the black black money black market, the <laughs> the black the real, market auction house, the real money auction house, and uh-huh. you would sell it, and then you would just buy the thing from somebody else, and then Blizzard would skim ten percent from both of those transactions mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And so, so the game just felt terrible um, because you just felt like everything was pushing you to just like become an eBay <laughs> uh, seller and buyer somehow. Yep. So. Uh, so that was, that was one of those examples where even though a lot of people, myself included, had some reservations about Diablo three, because it was coming from a company that we trusted, mm-hmm. uh, then it stung a lot more when it turned out that we were, yeah, right. it was, yeah, it was a huge, <laughs> it was such a huge bummer for me because like, I love Diablo two so much and, and again, a lot of it's nostalgia too. And it's like, it's a hard thing to, to decouple, you know, is how much, how much my memory of the thing uh, is just not what the thing actually was. And then how much that taints my view of the new thing, you know? Um, but it was the case. Like I, I was so excited. My wife and I played, I was like, I was like looking at the materials as they were coming out and they, and they showed those early videos of like the, the, the sorcerer doing like summoning just weird fucking things, you know, mm-hmm. or, or yeah. like walking in like the 3d aspect, you know, cause like that was new to, to the, to the game or to the franchise. And so they show somebody, you know, walking along a ledge, and then the creatures crawl up from underneath the ledge yep. and over the top. And like, I remember yep. watching those things and being like, Oh my God, this is gonna be so fucking cool. You know? 
And, and, it and, and it was like those, those aspects, like these little moments were still very cool, but the overall experience was just, I was bored, you know, I was bored and felt like I wasn't get, I wasn't, it just didn't feel like I was doing anything interesting. And exposed, I was so uh, bummed by it. Yeah. They exposed the loop and they, they made the game experience sort of, uh, they, they, was it they they shattered the f- the fourth wall or whatever? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, speaking of, have you guys seen all the Diablo two remaster stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm now now I'm just really because 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 this is I was I think, I think we talked about we haven't talked about some podcasts podcast I don't think but but I read an article that was because they went into a, some sort of a beta and the the author talked about it in a way that really nailed it I think and how they explained the experience because we've all had the experience with movies too but movies and games where. You've got something you remember from five years ago, 10 years ago, when you were a kid, you know, that was really a compelling, amazing experience. And you remember it in a certain way, right? Then you go try to experience it again now in in the present time with the person you are now, with the way the world is now, and like the way that- With a 16 are, by nine aspect ratio monitor. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> with all this, yeah, with all this, all this. So in a, in a culture that's changed too, right? Yeah. And then you yeah. go, and then you go like, look at that piece of content again, that piece of media, and you experience it and you're like- and you're like, oh no, oh oh no, and then it just keeps getting worse. You know? and you're like, oh no, and uh, and with like Diablo two, I, I tried to play it again more recently. So the last time I played it a lot was like literally ten years ago, um, uh, back before my wife and I got married. Uh, so that's a whole fucking decade ago, right? And at that time, and still, it was ten years old. And it was ten time. years old at that time, and I had an yeah. amazing time then, still playing it, right? Um, but we tried to play it in the office actually, like last year. It wasn't that long ago, and we all were just. It wasn't, it wasn't a good time. We just didn't have fun with it. And, and now, and, and so then to bring this back, what they're doing with Diablo to remaster is they're leaving the game exactly as is changing nothing. They're doing some sort of very fancy technical magic to make it so that the game looks like a modern game. And they've, it's such fancy magic that you can literally toggle that on and off. Right. Yeah. Like you can, you can show the old well, shitty mode. Really it what it is, really what it is, it's the exact same game with an a different rendering pipeline yeah. put on top right. of it. Right, yeah, exactly. So, so, so what it is then is, yeah, you can, you can go to the settings and you'd be like, just uh, let me see how it used to look. And yeah. so your character is exactly standing there wearing exactly the same equipment. Everything is around you, all the same. It's, all the same. it's just now it's all pixelated and shitty looking like it yeah. used to be. Well, the thing, the thing that's brilliant <laughs> about this, the thing that I love about this idea is that it, it now takes a thing you have nostalgia for and it takes one of those components that breaks the memory, right? Which is that, because the way that it, it'll look now with a new rendering is how you remember it looking, right? Mm-hmm. It's fucking brilliant. And, and, but then they couple that with showing you they're not playing any tricks, right? So that you can't come and say like, oh, like for some reason this is just worse than it used to be, right? Because it is the same game. There's no change. And you, can, and you can prove it to yourself by like flipping it back. So you can like compare the two and see because they also know. And because this is the whole thing with like with uh, Vanilla WoW when they brought that back, right? Because we had a lot of discussions about that mm-hmm. too. Because mm-hmm. Blizzard knows that, like, yeah, everybody thinks that they want this, right? And and to an extent they do, but they also don't realize what the experience is going to be like, most of them, right? So for the Vanilla WoW, that, that wasn't true for the people who were already playing on the Vanilla WoW servers, right? They they they, 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 they were in, yeah. But everybody else was also excited, right? And they hadn't experienced it yet. And Blizzard knew, like, okay, this is for a certain kind of person, right? And uh, And... And they were really worried about it. And I think that what they did here with Diablo to remaster with keeping both versions in there, I think it's fucking brilliant at the same time. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and this, this, I, I, what I hope is that this paves the way for a different way of thinking about remasters because for example, they had the war, they had the Warcraft three reforged. Um, and it wasn't early. They had the Starcraft, uh, remaster also. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, these games were like full rebuilds as opposed to, uh, just like a rendering, and like, like basically a, a, a sprucing up, you know, yeah. uh, because I think that's really just what people want is people want to just play that game. Mm-hmm. But, but now yeah, with, but, with, with, the, with today's, good. yeah, with today's standards of, of visuals and, and style. Did you guys try the Starcraft? Um, uh, Cause the Starcraft remaster was also just graphical. Did you guys try that one? I, I actually, I think I bought it and then yeah. I didn't. I haven't played an RTS. Yeah, that was in like yeah. a decade. <laughs> I bought it and I played it just to see. And like and it and, it, and again it it, it it nailed that nostalgic experience where it looked like what I remembered. And like and then the, the music comes on and like you guys remember the shit of that music, I'm sure, right? Uh, oh, yeah. And so like so it felt really good and then I quickly just discovered that like I haven't I haven't played RTSs in a long time and I actually don't enjoy them that much. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so but but I but I felt really good though about having like bought that and having 
having like because then you got to zoom in a little bit and like see see stuff better, you know. And it yeah. still doesn't look like it's not high res. It's just like two x what it used to be, which is still pretty low. Uh, yeah. But it was just it was very very cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I will I'm, say though, I I have a uh, a video game music playlist that I usually have when I'm when I'm working, and I have a lot of StarCraft music in there because yeah. something about RTS music, it's, it's got that. It's got that mm-hmm. productive vibe of like, I'm building stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, all right, let's go to the next question, which is from Fly Hoppy Axe Rampa, who says, Hey, bros, just wondering how you deal with art scaling now that you aren't using Inkscape. What size are things drawn at versus what size they appear in the game? Do you downscale while exporting? Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you let Game Maker handle it at runtime? Or are we doing something else? Yeah, so we used to uh, do everything in vector, right? And so uh, what that means is that the the art itself is infinitely resolute, so you could zoom in on it wherever, and it's just perfect. It's made uh, of math. But of course, when you got to get into the game, so a lot of games do have um, vector engines now, as far as like they can they can handle vector art stuff. But you don't want a complicated piece going in there because really what that means vector is, is costly. It's vector is extremely it's, expensive. It's CPU costly, which yeah. is where you, so, you don't want to be putting cost there if you can help it. Yeah. So usually what you do is you basically bake the asset by exporting it as a picture. So PNG in our case. Um, so what was interesting about the going from a vector to clip studio was that in building a lot of stuff for, uh, for level head or for previous games, there were times where the export, the export would have, basically stuff missing in it that I thought was going to be there. Cause of course I could see infinitely, uh, infinitely well when I was looking at these pieces, which means I had a tendency to over detail things that when you, when they got exported would just turn into sort of like, you know, a pixel or would just be sort of eaten by the pixel next to them because they still need to be exported. Um, and when the export happens, it has to pick which pixels become what colors. Right. And so, uh, you can't have one pixel being two things. It's just not, it's just not really possible. So our approach originally for Clip Studio, I did a bunch of reading on kind of how to handle resolutions and game art stuff. And a lot of people do suggest this sort of, you know, doing a, a, say like a double scale and then scaling it down for when you get in game. But that never quite made sense to me because like it's the, the image doesn't get sharper when you scale it down. Like that's not, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it, not what's it, happening. It gets blurrier by definition. It gets, yeah. It gets blurrier by definition. And uh, and so what we what we've seen in Game Maker is like we don't like to so say say we just have a sprite in Game Maker, um, we don't actually like to scale things below like around sixty percent if we're just doing it with game, uh, because at that point they start getting a little they get a little bit of that sort of like fuzziness to them, um, which is essentially the same thing that would happen if you say built an, an asset at two x and then and then export it uh, for the game at half scale. So yeah. basically, what I what I decided was that uh, well, I think the other part of that though is that. Uh, when you scale something up in game, so like if you if you build it for the max size, like exactly the max size, then then you're good because you're because you're downscaling and you're, and you're and you're minimizing the overall range of crunch that is going to happen to the image, right? Mm-hmm. If you make it at two x the size you actually want to show it, and then shrink it from there, also, right? Then now you're doing a huge amount of, of yes. compression. But if you want to upscale something, because like when you upscale something, that's that's where you actually the the limit on where it starts to look blurry. Um, happens way faster than when you downscale. Yeah. So, so you, if you're going to do it at two X because you want to scale up to that size, that's actually a good idea. I think ideally, ideally everything is one to one, right? Because uh, scaling up the the game engine has to try to add information to the picture to fill in the gaps, mm-hmm. right? And if you scale down, the game engine has to figure out what information to remove from the picture to pack the pixels closer together. Right. And in both cases, kind of sucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so, yeah, when you're scaling down, you have a, a pretty big range, probably about 40%, where actually it's fine. You know, uh, when you're scaling up, it probably is like actually about 20% before you can kind of tell that it's getting a little, a uh, little blurry. So what we do, and the main thing on my side was just, was just to say, okay, you know, that what that means is that in the past, I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time on art that never showed up in the sense of like, you yeah, spend got, time working on crunched a piece. Out. Yep, it gets crunched out when it gets exported. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to, that's just dumb. I want to actually be able to know what the hell this thing looks like so I could just do it. So we actually do all of our stuff at one-to-one uh, for, you know, in the case of like a creature, it, it's just the biggest size version of it. And if we need a smaller size, that's just a thing I can, like I can just 
export. I can make that and export it um, on my side. And so we don't tend to do, we don't do the whole like draw double scale and then half scale it before it goes in the game. Cause that's like a good way to accidentally make it ugly. And does that make it the case that you, that if you want to say like, Oh, we want this enemy actually to like be four times the size that you have to redraw it. Yes. But like, not really. Cause you scale it up and then you just clean it up. It's not, I thought that that was a lot more work before I actually did it a couple of times. And then I was like, Oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is right. If you, if you want to do things with dramatic scale differences, it, it does require different art. It's just, yep. and, and you can, and like with vector, you can get away with it a little bit better as long as your vector art is cartoony and doesn't have a lot of detail. Um, because then you can just export different sizes, which is different pieces of art, right? Mm-hmm. You're just, you're just using, uh, you know, and you're using a, a system that doesn't believe in pixels to, to create it, um, in mm-hmm. the first place. Uh, but in the end, it still is creating out two art assets to be able to do that. Um, I think, I think one of the, if you had an art style that lends itself to that, where there's not a lot of fine detail, I think one of the other cool things you can get with vector though, is that you could basically make all of your assets and then you could say, Ooh, I want a 4k version of like my game. Right. And then just export everything at, at 2x, their normal size, right? Assuming you've coded up your game to allow having everything being just twice as big now, right? Um, but uh, it, it does allow for that kind of flexibility if that's the sort of thing you're planning for, right? Mm-hmm. Is you can use it with the right art style and with the right goals to reduce your workload dramatically. Um, but as Sam is saying, with the stuff that we're doing, uh, we actually don't really get any benefits from that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You guys ready for one last question? Let's do it. Yeah. This comes from C Price, who says, what's your opinion on NFTs? Is it the future of digital art or another way for tech startups to scam VCs out of money? <laughs> I mean, it could be both. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah. I think. Uh, so what do we know yeah, about NFT. NFTs? We should, yes. Define it. It is a non-fungible token. Fungible. So that tells us what that means. You're an economist person. Uh, it's a, it's duplication. Right. It means yeah. there's only one of it or whatever. Uh, yeah. So, um, so the idea with an NFT is you can basically uh, make a code, which is just a, a random, unique string of, of, of characters, basically, right? Make a code and you say, this code is attached to this entity out in the world. Digital, physical, whatever, right? Um, in this particular case, we're talking about digital stuff. So you can be like, hey, this PNG right here, this token I got, this NFT I've got over here, right? Uh, it it's, it points at that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell you this thing, this token, this unique token that nobody else will ever have that points at that picture, right? It's and legit. It's a deed. It's a yeah, deed. It's a deed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a deed that goes on record, right? That yeah. says like, uh, yeah, like Steve owns this house. Right. Except now he owns a JPEG. Except yeah. now it's a now it's a it's a it's a digital deed on in a digital ledger that says Steve owns that JPEG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that worth anything? So if, well, if you say so, <laughs> if people you know. decide it is, yeah. you know, yeah. it's the same. It's the exactly. same idea as Bitcoin or anything else, right? And exactly. uh, and so the so there are whole it's unregulated, which is sort of there. There are two problems with it. One is it's unregulated, which means that I can just go say, hey, I've got an NFT that points at this other thing, right, that somebody else made, and I'm going to sell it to you. And it's not even illegal because I'm selling the NFT, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually selling the, the item. And There's uh, no centralized body who guarantees ownership of things yeah. before an NFT is – yeah, is and, and this is this yeah. is where a lot of the current conflicts are coming from is is people doing things like being saying like oh I'm a curator and they just like make an NFT that points to a bundle of things that other people have made and be like you're buying like this unique set of things right well but again like that's that's where the, that's where NFTs get weird compared to something in the real world right because like in the real world if you buy a house then you own the house and the deed is something that proves that you own the house mm-hmm. right with an NFT you by the deed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. By the deed, right. And the house, I mean, you'd like to think that it's yours because you bought that deed, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and if other people believe in that deed, then if everybody agrees that buying a deed proves that you own a house, mm-hmm. uh, then yes. So then can they, you, can you actually have works, multiple right? deeds pointing at the same house then, in NFT? If it's not regulated. If it's not regulated. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So if it's not regulated, if, so this is the problem: is, is you can you can if it's not regulated, you can have multiple deeds pointing at one house, and nobody. And it could be that none of those people who made that deed that you bought even own the house in the first place. Right? <laughs> uh, so in the, like, what? 
Yeah. Well, and, and I think, I think to me, well, what because is, again, you're just buying deeds. Yeah. You're yep. buying a house. You're buying, you're <laughs> buying the token. That's what that is. What you're buying. I think to me, yeah. this actually what this really reveals, even kind of kind of walking back from all the problems with it, is just how unprepared for digital media intellectual property law is. Yes. And contract law, all the laws, basically, right? And how fucking slow it's all been. Because people talk about how it's like, oh, it's slow to catch up when they talk about like the legal system versus tech, right? And no, it's not. It's not catching up. It's not. It's not actually even happening, mm-hmm. right? It's just the world has changed really fundamentally uh, because of the digital age, and the law is not. It's the, the 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 concept of catching up here doesn't exist. It just doesn't apply. The law doesn't apply to these things. I mean, mm-hmm. it does, but in a weird way because because it basically falls under copyright law, right? So people are now inventing new ways to to try to do things, um, to talk about ownership and, and all of this. And, and so I think NFTs like conceptually are like a neat way to do that because a lot of what happens in like in the art world is, is when people buy stuff, it's more, it's about buying the status. It's not even about the painting necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, or the, or the work of art. Um, and NFT, NFTs just do that only a little more, uh, obviously. Right. Um, if it were the case that like the artist said, Hey, this is the NFT that represents the thing. I will sell this to one person, right? Mm-hmm. Then now you get to be the person who who owns it, right? And so it still serves exactly that role. It's just now doing it with, with digital media, which there's no other way to do this. And so to me, it, like conceptually, it makes sense. The thing that I, the other set of problems about it, though, are because it's basically a blockchain like, or it just is blockchain, I think, right? Um, or something like it. Which is that? Which the purpose of that is to decentralize it, which is yep. great because that means there's no authority who says, "Oh no, no, actually, no, you can't sell this NFT to somebody else because now it has to go through us and we're going to take a cut or whatever." Right? Like that, that can't be controlled in that way because it's decentralized. But that also means it's not regulated, right? And and it has to use these weird systems like blockchain that are extremely costly, right? That that are that just consume so many resources to make. Well, well, uh, and I think part of the part of the value of something like a deed to an actual house is that is that it enables a set of actions right if some mm-hmm. if some rando just suddenly is in your house <laughs> uh mm-hmm. because it is your house there are legal courses of action that you can take now that mm-hmm. the government will respect and adhere to uh they will get that person out of your house if the person destroys things then that person you can you know you can sue them for damages and the legal system supports that it's all. It's part because, of what the taxes that you paid when you bought the house go into, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, if you, you know, if you have an NFT for a, J, a JPEG, and somebody, you know, copies that JPEG and like turns it into a meme and uploads it somewhere, right? Um, what do you? You've got no recourse because you, you also don't own copyright <laughs> unless. Yep. In, in unless you, unless you also included transfer the copyright, right? In which case, the NFT is actually not the thing of value. It's the fact that the owner of the piece wrote up a contract yeah. that now the government respects. Well, right? and again, and I, so, think, I think this is the because it's the part where like this is filling a hole, but like I think in, just in a bad way. I think that there could be better ways to fill this hole, but this this marries the excitement people have about blockchain because they're fucking obsessed with it, right? To <laughs> yeah. this, this hole, which is that. If I like, if I have a work of art in any form, and I want to give, I want to sell rights to it to somebody else, right? It's copyright. I can sell whichever subset of rights I want. I can just give you the whole fucking thing and just say, "This is your, this is yours now. You just own every right to this work, right?" Or I can yep. say, "Oh, you can distribute this however you please, or or whatever, right?" So once I've done that, then you can take those rights that I've given you, and depending on the agreement, you could now transfer some subset to somebody else for money or not, or, or whatever, right? Like that system already exists. It just doesn't exist in a way where you can easily say, I own this piece of work. I'm giving the ownership to you. Here's a representation of that, that you can literally just transfer to somebody else. Instead, you have to get fucking lawyers involved, right? And you have to, you have to like dig out every little piece of the puzzle of like who owns what and where and what's allowed and, and blah, blah, blah. When this is a kind of transaction that represents the idea of just selling a physical good to somebody else. There's cause there's one of it, Right. It represents that idea for digital, and I think that's a thing that there is a hole there. There's not an easy way to do that that everybody agrees. Like, oh yeah, this is, and that's why people get excited about blockchain it. in the first place. Like, that's yeah. what blockchain is supposed to be able to do, right? Yeah, it's the whole idea of the unique thing that who whose whose transfers from one entity to another uh, can be guaranteed and can be traced, right? But in a weird way, I mean, 
the somehow the the blockchain. I mean, this kind of reminds me of when the internet first started, kind of becoming a thing. Which, for some reason, you know, I remember those days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, that so much of the conversation around the internet was that was that it's great because no one's in charge of it, right? It's it's decentralized. It democratizes everyone's voice. Everyone gets an equal say. Nobody has sway over the whole thing. So it's like a better source of truth than any other thing you can come across. Um, over time, of course, what happens is consolidation, where if you want to get your music, you go to Spotify. If you want to get, you know, your, uh, if you want to hear from your friends, you go to whatever is the dominant social media platform of the day. And you don't go to a hundred different websites where or a hundred different people's blogs because it's not 2001 anymore. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of work. Well, it's not, right? it's not just that either, right? It's this whole idea too of, because we're talking about here's a deregulated market or yeah. unregulated. Well, actually. yeah. And, and so, so what's kind of interesting about blockchain is it's kind of following the same, um, uh, I don't, I don't say like, like fantasy, but kind of like romanticized notion about what makes it useful and valuable, right? Which is people say, it's completely decentralized and unregulated and, and no government enforces it or controls it, right? Which is why it's good. But, but actually, that's, that's not necessarily why it's good. What, what's good about it is a, is, a bunch of the, uh, is a bunch of the security that it enables and, and ease of transactions and a bunch of other things. And the finite um, nature of the number of coins that are produced, right? Right. Like there, there are aspects of it that are good. And if it was the case that, that like a government came in and said, hey, this new way of enabling transactions is super dope. You know, that's how governments talk. Um, mm-hmm. This is super dope. And we are going to create, you know, some means of handling NFTs for like, here's, here's a way of handling NFTs for like uh, art pieces. And here's one for like film. I don't know, whatever. Right. Um, and we're going to enforce these the same way that we enforce property rights for any other thing, right? Um, then suddenly it's like now you've got all the legitimacy of the government, and it and it enables those transactions and makes them easy, right? Well, as long as but there's another piece of it too, right? Is is since it it's not it's not even just not centrally controlled by a government; it's centrally controlled by nobody, right? Well, that's the thing; it's, it's not enforceable. It's, it's not, not enforced. Well, it's not, just it's that. not enforceable. It's, not, it's yeah. not enforceable, but it also whatever chaos it creates cannot be stopped, right? Because I think this is this is what, this is the other side of the <laughs> argument, right? Yeah. Which is that which is that the amount of of energy burned and also hardware being burned because of course it's really taxing on a CPU to be crunching stuff all the time so it's going to burn out your CPU way f- if you're if you're mining bitcoin right you're going to kill your CPU like 10 well, times GPU faster than, probably but or yeah. GPU yeah hopefully yeah. your GPU but either way you're going to yeah. kill it right and you're also making it unavailable to other people for other purposes uh, including purposes that aren't just playing games people use GPUs to do science right um and so now all of a sudden people who need computation a lot of parallel computation to do all kinds of stuff can't do it right yeah graphics cards energy burden so expensive they're not available right the energy burden on all of our infrastructure is now way higher than it used to be um uh there's there's no way to know because none of these things are measured well um there's no way to know what the real impact is there's lots of claims out there some of them may be true who knows you see claims like oh yeah all of the all the gains we've made from green technology have literally been offset by how much more energy we're using, (laughs) right? And who knows? That's, it's possible. That feels hilariously insane to me. Yeah. But but it's one of those things. It's like, because, because we know, like, because you hear these stories of places like, uh, like, like somewhere in like China, someone siphoning energy off, like directly from an electro, uh, from a dam. Right. And they're just like, they found a way to get into it. They've got like a little, like tiny village basically set up. that's like hidden from the government. And they're just like, just processing Bitcoin basically. They're like, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> like, you hear about these kinds of stories, which actually sort of lend the possibility that, that, that this really is, that the cost is enormous. And we all feel the cost. The fact that you can't get like a, a that you can't get a, a graphics card, you know, you just can't get one mm-hmm. unless, you, unless you want to spend a yep. thousand more dollars than you normally would. Uh, is a strong indicator that this is having a huge impact on everything, every supply chain, on energy consumption, mm-hmm. and so on, right? And and you can't put the genie back in the bottle, right? If we all if we all now say like, oh oh, this is fucked, actually, right? As long as people keep on buying Bitcoin, which they will, because they've put a fuckload of money into it, yep. So they're going to keep on doing it. It is now just a thing that we have, right? Well, and, and you got other people sort of pouring fuel in the fire because I was like, uh, Elon Musk, um, yeah, announced that they're going to fund. Their moon mission with Dogecoin. Yep. Right. And so, like, boom, value of Dogecoin is going to be going up 
and up and up and up over the coming well, years. And, and he as, bought a billion dollars of Bitcoin via yeah. Tesla, right? Yeah. So you've, you've got these like majorly influential people who are also lending their support to the system and mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. So like it, it in and as with many things, it has value because people believe it has value, right? And so so as as long as more and more people get hyped about it, it's going to the value is going to keep going up, and the incentives to keep using it and mining it and everything else will keep going up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, that necessarily that it's any more useful than just like having a dollar bill, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, those um, are also finite and uh, non fungible, yep. et cetera, right? Right, and so it it's just that's the that's the 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 thing of the day, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, and the value will keep going up as long as that's true. And then once it's not true, then who knows what's going to happen? Um, or maybe it'll just always be true. Now I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So long story short, fills a hole. Um, and creates a lot of problems at the same time, and it's not at all obvious if the it's value not of filling worse, the hole is is worth the costs of having filled it. You know, yeah, it's just knows. a different thing. That's mm-hmm. and weird things are going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the consequences. I don't like that. I now I'm worried that if my graphics card, you know, just shits the bed at some point, that I just can't have another one. You know, like that's not. I don't like knowing that. That's well, you can, but you just got to rob a bank and then wait six months for your (laughs) new graphics card to arrive. I have to buy it with my Bitcoin or something. Right. Uh, I guess it all comes full circle, doesn't it? Does come full circle. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.